0: Frank Ling and I'm Charles Lee and you're listening to the Grok Science Show that's right it's a weekly look at the world of science technology and their effects on our daily lives coming up on today's program Dr. Kevin Dutton will join us to discuss the wisdom of psychopaths so stay tuned for all of this plus the Grokatron 5000 and our world famous question a week coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show back to the Grox science show well the term psychopath conjures images of hannibal lecter like characters smoothly charismatic yet impulsively violent their motives and desires certainly foreign to most of us yet are these traits inherent to some degree in all of us and what positive lessons can we learn from psychopathic behavior well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Kevin Dutton. Dr. Dutton is a research psychologist at the Kaleva Research Center for Evolution and Human Science University of Oxford. He is author of previous works including Flipnosis, Split-Second Persuasion, and his latest release entitled The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success, explores this issue for a general audience. And Dr. Dutton, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show.
1: It's an absolute pleasure, Charles. Pleasure to be on.
0: Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a great book, uh, The Wisdom of Psychopaths, in which you really explore uh, the behavior of psychopaths, what traits might be inherent in all of us. How did you become interested in this topic?
1: Well, you know what, actually, Charles, I, I, <laughs> I wrote the book primarily to debunk two deep-seated myths that people, people have about psychopaths. Firstly, that they're either all mad or bad, and secondly, that psychopathy is an all-or-nothing affair. You're either a psychopath or you're not. Now, let me give you, you and your Listeners, um a, a little analogy to perhaps make that a little clearer. Imagine that a Martian comes to Earth, right, and the first thing they do is they get a job in a medical unit dedicated to the treatment, uh, exclusively to the treatment of sun-related problems. So you've got people in there with melanomas, with sunburn, with heat stroke, with dehydration, all those bad things you get from the sun. Now. Immediately, the Martian might be forgiven for thinking, the sun is bad, let's ban the sun. But of course, we know that the sun isn't bad. We know that the sun can be bad if we're exposed to it in in large doses, but that actually at weaker doses, with more controlled levels of exposure, the sun doesn't just make us look better and feel better. Without it, we wouldn't be here at all. So in the book, I argue precisely the same about psychopathy. Sure, if you lie out in it day after day, you're going to get badly burned, and so will the people around you, will have what we we might call a carcinoma of the personality. But with more regulated exposure, psychopathy, I feel, can have intrinsic benefits. So that's the real reason why I wrote the book and why I got interested in it, especially from a scientific perspective. It it basically puts forward the argument that, sure, at high levels, psychopathy amounts to a personality cancer, but at lower levels, it can amount to personality with a tan.
0: So something beneficial that just in excess winds up being bad, but in the correct doses actually is useful.
1: I think that's absolutely right. That's the basic nub right there of, of the book, Charles. But also there is, I have to say, I mentioned there that, that was a scientific reason why I wrote the book. I, I also wrote the book for, for a more personal reason. And uh, it seems crazy saying this looking back, uh, but but actually my own father was, was a nailed down psychopath. I mean, there's no question at all about that. I mean, it, it does seem weird uh, saying that in hindsight, but, but my Dad was I mean he wasn't violent he was uh, he was a market trader he sold not not in the stock market he sold uh, sorts of uh, stuff uh, to everyone in the in kind of street markets so, and of course one of the one of the messages, central messages of the book is that you don't need to be violent to be a psychopath uh, but he was he certainly had other characteristics he was ruthless he was fearless uh, he was extremely charming. He was, uh, you know, very, very charismatic. I mean, this guy could have sold anything to anybody. He really could. I mean, he, he could have sold shaving cream to the Taliban. He was just, he was the kind of guy that had absolutely no shame whatsoever at all. And I always give people um, a kind of a, a little story which sums him up and which sums up the kind of things that the psychopathic personality are, are capable of. I remember when I was about nine or 10, for instance, my dad and I uh, went to an Indian restaurant in London. And at the end of the, uh, of the dinner, my dad was paying the bill. He He just suddenly stood up and tinkled his spoon against the glass and made an impromptu speech. And he just stood up and he said, you know, I'd just like to thank everyone for coming. I know that some of you have come from just round the corner and some of you have come from a little bit further afield. But I just want you to know that you're all equally welcome. Oh, and across the road uh, in the King's Arms pub, there's going to be a little drinks reception. And you are all most welcome. It'd be great to see you there. And with that, he started clapping, as, of course, did the entire restaurant. So what we've got now, we've got an entire restaurant of strangers who haven't seen each other before, who haven't seen us before, all applauding wildly because they don't want to be seen as the gatecrashers to the party. So as we're leaving, I remember I was, I was only about nine or ten, I remember saying to Dad, Dad, we're not, you know what, we're not really going to the pub, are we? And Dad says, no, no, somewhere we're not. But you know what? That lot are. And my mate Malcolm has just taken over as landlord. He'll make a, make a bit of money tonight. And with that, we just sauntered off. Now, can you imagine the, I think the technical term is balls, can you imagine what you need to actually get up and do something like that? I mean, I bet you I could pay you a thousand bucks, Charles, and you wouldn't get up and do something like that. But to my dad, it was just absolutely natural. He didn't bat an eye. That was the kind of thing he did on a a routine basis. He was immensely confident, just didn't think about the consequences. And, of course, that made him very charismatic. He just sold stuff in, in street markets. He wasn't a, he wasn't an educated man. But that's a very interesting point. You know, when I talk about these psychopathic characteristics, so we talk about ruthlessness, fearlessness, charm, focus, mental toughness, lack of empathy and conscience, all those kinds of things. Notice I didn't say mention anything about violence, and notice I didn't mention anything about intelligence. Now here's the deal, Charles. If you if you have all those personality characteristics. And you are naturally violent and you are not very intelligent, then to be perfectly honest, my friend, your chances, your prospects aren't going to be that great at all. You're going to wind up as a low-level thug or an enforcer for a criminal gang. Either way, you're going to wind up in prison pretty quickly. However, if we look at the opposite scenario, imagine you've got those psychopathic characteristics but you are intelligent, you go to a good school, you get a good education and you're not naturally violent, then it's a different story altogether. Then you're more likely, as the famous Reuters headline once put it, going to make a killing in the market than anywhere else.
0: Nice combination of traits to have in today's society.
1: Absolutely right. I think that, I think most definitely. I mean, I think that society today is becoming a little bit more psychopathic in general. There's evidence to, to show. A recent study has come out showing that empathy levels in college students today is 40% lower than what it was 30 years ago, and the steepest decline has come over the last 10 years. At the same time, narcissism levels among the same student population have been rising. In fact, they've now gone through the roof. So it's hardly surprising that in the UK I don't know what you whether this term generalizes over here but you know the current generation is known as generation me so they're quite low in empathy and quite high in narcissism of course those two characteristics are quite prevalent among the psychopathic personality
0: what particular traits characteristic of psychopaths what brain areas that might be responsible for this how do these interact then with a society to either promote or suppress these psychopathic tendencies
1: yeah, I mean, in everyday life, I mean, I've, I've mentioned to you there the, the kind of generic kind of, I, would, I, would, I suppose you could call it forensic or clinical traits that psychopaths actually manifest. In a more everyday setting, there are certain psychopathic traits, which we can nuance a little more, which really do predispose anybody to be a bit more successful. Psychopaths, for instance, are very assertive. Psychopaths don't procrastinate. Psychopaths don't take things personally, psychopaths don't beat themselves up when things go wrong, psychopaths are very cool under pressure, and they also focus uh, purely on the rewards, on the positives of situations rather than the negatives. So these kinds of characteristics, Charles, are are, are absolutely, you could all benefit from those. In terms of brain areas involved, um, it's very complicated. The brain is a very complicated structure. But one of the most telling differences I would imagine between, that uh, you could you could call it, between psychopaths and normal people is in the emotion areas of the brain. Now, now the emotion area is known as the amygdala. It's a thumbnail size structure located right in the middle of your brain and we could say it's the emotion control tower of the brain. It's that part of the brain, that structure, which enables us to process information. Now with psychopaths this area of the brain is turned down slightly. The, the kind of the light switches in that particular area of the brain are wired up in a different way to the rest of us. So psychopaths don't feel emotions in the same way that we might do. Now, of course, what that means is that gives them their immense sang-froid, their immense coolness under pressure when the rest of us might be really, really scared. They're able to function under under conditions of great pressure and great danger. Now, of course, that can predispose uh, people to success in various arms of the military, for instance. I've done a lot of work with uh, Special forces. I've interviewed a lot of special forces troops but also I have to tell you uh, in 2011 last year I conducted something called the Great British Psychopath Survey. Now the survey is unique in the sense that uh, it's the first to assess the prevalence of psychopathic traits within an entire national workforce. Now participants were directed onto my website where they completed a, a standardized psychometric test of psychopathy and they were then given their score But, and here's the deal, Charles, that's not all. They also entered their employment details. Now, what I wanted to know was, what is the most psychopathic profession in the UK? And the results certainly proved a bit of an eye-opener because, number one, perhaps not surprisingly, you've got your CEOs. Number two, I have to tell you, okay, don't get too worried about this, but we had the media. We had radio and TV people were up there, okay? Uh, Number three, we had lawyers. I'm just going off the top of my head now. uh, But we also had surgeons in the mix. And we also, a little bit further down the list, I think, coming in at number eight, were clerics, were the clergy, uh, church people, which actually, when you think about it, it's perhaps not too much of a shocker because what we know is that psychopaths do well in professions where there is a power hierarchy, where there is an organizational structure, and especially when they have the ability to uh, wield control over people. And so, you know, some ways the church is, is just like any other business in, in that respect. So they're the kinds of characteristics and they're the kinds of professions uh, that psychopaths uh, can do well in.
0: Uh, you wound up talking to a lot of psychopathic individuals, uh, con artists. Uh. What were your general impressions just of, of how they operated and how different or dealt with their level of psychopathy?
1: Yeah, well, uh, when you deal with, it's funny, actually, because when you deal with psychopaths, one of the first things that uh, that I get, and it's not just me, it's other people as well, you get a distinct impression that anything is possible. And I have to say, you often hear people who say that psychopaths are very charismatic, very magnetic personalities. Uh, in a lot of cases, that is true, uh, and the reason for that is because they have no moral breaks on them. They have no anxiety breaks on them. We were talking about the amygdala just uh, just a little bit earlier. That you know, that part of the brain is toned down. So what you what you've got here, you've got a personality, Charles, with no breaks on it. Now, in a sense, the rest of us. I think in a lot of cases, are, you know, to, to continue the metaphor, we're all guilty of having our foot hovering over the brake pedal a little bit too much. We're a little bit too keen uh, on using the brake pedal in everyday life. So I think what's good, you know, the one end we've got psychopaths with absolutely they've got no brake cables at all. Uh, and at the other end we've got really, really anxious people whose foot are hovering over the brakes all the time. And it's good to have a kind of a happy medium. Now what you find with psychopaths is because they, they don't have that brake cable, they don't have that kind of dampener on their personality. You know, whereas the rest of us might find reasons not to do something, you know, uh, through fear or rejection or whatever, or even we don't feel like it, psychopaths don't have that. They are actually very positive. They are enthused with a kind of a charismatic energy. You don't find psychopaths in boring jobs, for instance. So, so that's a, in terms of how you feel when you meet psychopaths, I mean, a lot of the times there is a real vibe about them. There's a real aura, there's a real charisma. And of course that does predispose them to, to succeed, as I was saying, in certain professions, like for instance, special forces soldiers, for instance. Now it's important there to make a distinction though, Charles, because obviously the idea that there might Be psychopathic special forces soldiers out there is not going to uh, is not going to make anyone feel very safe. But what we need to remember here, and this is this is crucial, is that coming back right back to what I said at the beginning, I wrote the book to debunk a myth that psychopathy is an all or nothing affair. That we're either psychopathic or we're not. Actually a great analogy which I use in the book for this is that if you think of those psychopathic traits as the dials on a studio mixing desk, as the sliders on a graphic equalizer, as it were, then we start coming to something which is much more manageable, which, which, which bears a much more scientific truth. So if you imagine all those, all those traits that I was talking to you about, if you crank all of those dials up to max on the studio mixing desk, and have that as your default setting, then it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where that one's gonna head. You're gonna uh, overload the circuit, you're gonna wind up with 30 years inside. But if you turn some up high and some down low, depending on the circumstances, become as it were what we might call a method psychopath in the same way that you might have a method actor, for instance, Then you're going to have a personality combination which can predispose you to great success in various professions. Now, just to finish off on that point, there is one dial on the mixing desk, which I haven't mentioned yet, which can tip you over from functional to dysfunctional, from successful to unsuccessful psychopaths. And that dial is the impulsivity dial. There's evidence to suggest that the difference between functional and dysfunctional psychopaths is the fact that uh, dysfunctional psychopaths, criminal psychopaths, cannot put on hold their desire to to gratify their impulses. They cannot work towards long-term goals, whereas the successful or functional psychopath is much more able to do
0: that. To what extent, then, do you think individuals can mix their personality traits along this continuum of two, either amplify the traits that would be beneficial or decrease those that would be deleterious?
1: I think, it's, um, I, I think it's inherently possible. In fact, I'm just bringing out a paper which will either come out later in December this year or early next year called The Psychopath Manifesto in which it's a kind of a self-help thing in which isolate 10 psychopathic truths or commandments and show people that actually if you adapt to your everyday life, you can actually become a little bit more successful. I'll, I'll give you an example. Most people, Charles, are a little bit scared, a little bit reluctant to put in for a raise at work because quite rightly they're worried about not getting it, and they're worried about what their boss or what their employees might think of them if they don't get it. Now, remember I was talking about psychopaths there. Psychopaths do not focus on the negatives of situations. They just do not pay attention to those. They are reward-driven. They focus on the positives. So, psychopath up, folks. If If you want to go for a raise, don't think about all the problems about not getting it. Just concentrate on the benefits of getting it. And of course, what that does is it makes you more confident, and it makes you actually more likely to get it. So there's a number of ways in which we can we can work on uh, we can work on our psychopath muscle to make that a bit stronger, and to just help us get ahead a little bit more in our everyday lives.
0: In the book you describe experiments with TMS, uh, Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation, to actually get a feeling for switching some of these circuits on and off. What what did that feel like and what does it say for being able to do this voluntarily? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, what I did was, um, obviously, uh, I, when I wrote a book on psychopaths, I, I felt it incumbent upon me, Charles, to actually see if I could mimic psychopathic state uh, within my own head. And we have a technique called transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS for short, which basically can enable us to turn some of those knobs and dials of, uh, of our brain either up or down to mimic various brain states. Now, we know, as I was telling you earlier, that some of the uh, brain areas that are are uh, turned up or down in the psychopath, for instance, the amygdala, the emotion centers, we know which areas of their brains, uh, roughly speaking, differ from our own. And so using um, this, this technique called TMS, I targeted, or rather a colleague of mine targeted, these specific areas in my own brain and turn them up or down. It's a, it uses the brain, uh, works on uh, electromagnetic chemical impulses, and so by pulsing high frequency electromagnetic uh, pulses to these various uh, areas of the brain, TMS can't penetrate deep brain structures, but what it can do, it can target areas outer level of the brain, the cerebral cortex, which has projections to the inner. So we we can modify function of the more deeper inner core areas of the brain almost a little bit by proxy by targeting the the outer areas. So by selecting these specialized areas of my brain and turning them either up or down using this electromagnetic uh, TMS, I did mimic mimic the brain state of a psychopath. It doesn't last very long. You'll be glad to know it has actually worn off, uh, I promise you. But it takes about 15 minutes to do. It's not very comfortable. It does feel like, you know, there's like a little tiny homunculus minor tapping away inside your head as it's going on. But you do feel different. I felt, as I described in the book, I felt like, you know, I'd had, you know, half a bottle of wine or a, a few bottles of beer. But without the attendant sluggishness, I felt a definite loosening of inhibition. I felt a definite feeling of well-being, but I didn't have any of my attendant anxieties, and I kind of drag around with me. And I actually went head-to-head with a friend of mine, who's a Special Forces soldier, uh, to see who was cooler in the lab, me or him. And what happened was we were, first of all, shown into a big room and sat in front of a big screen, wired up to various physiological responses, galvanic skin response, heart rate monitors, all that kind of stuff, to test our levels of uh, physiological arousal and while we were wired up we saw a beautiful meditative tranquil scene of a lake and something like that and then at a, at a moment undisclosed in time within the next minute or so this scene completely changed and was accompanied by some really really nauseating hideous images of, of dismemberment and, and, and you know all sorts of t- terrible stuff like that also klaxons and white noise very very loud and our heart rate sir, and galvanic skin response and EEG was monitored while we, were, while, while we were watching this. Now very interestingly as we were waiting for the horrific scene to arrive, both my physiological arousal levels and my S.A.S. uh, Special Forces friend both were elevated. But here's the deal, when we had the pictures of carnage and mayhem, mine continued to rise but his actually started going down. Now this guy is quite high along the psychopathic spectrum, not surprisingly for Special Forces soldiers. So it was almost as if in the heat of battle he just tuned out, he just thought well this is nothing. Now, I then did exactly the same. I looked at similar images again after I'd had my psychopath makeover. And this time, I wanted to know whether I could be as cool under pressure uh, as my special forces friend. Well, it didn't quite happen, Charles. My readings, my physiological readings went down about two-thirds to what they were, but I didn't quite break the special forces level. And actually, it was all filmed this, and actually I'm on camera saying, you know, the guy before me, found this quite uh, nauseating and quite disturbing but I'm finding it very difficult on this occasion to suppress a smile which is actually very disturbing as regards kinds of doing, uh, you know, the, the argument of doing this voluntarily in years to come or even, you know, even army, the army kind of, kind of um, desensitizing people, uh, I think it's important to realize that, you know, various armies around the world, including the British Army, do, I mean, they do have standardizing, standardized de-empathizing kinds of courses that people go on to, to, to kind of prepare people for battle. I think in terms of the long-term prospects of using electromagnetic stimulation to dampen down brain activity. The problem here is that this stuff only works for maximum about half an hour, 20 minutes to half an hour. And in the book, I actually call it a a bit like an electromagnetic comb over. If you imagine the neurons in your brain as being hairs on your head, well, it's almost like kind of trying to get an instantly new hairstyle. You have to, you know, you can comb your hair in a different way, but it's just going to fall back in line to what it was, you know, very shortly afterwards. So in terms of using it in the long term, I think that's problematic, both, I think, from a moral perspective uh, and also um, simply from a neurological one.
0: We're running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have some final words regarding this whole issue of psychopathy and what it means in our society and for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think that society is is becoming more psychopathic. I think one of the interesting things is um, you know people have said to me well you know should we do you think it's right because psychopaths you know cause a heck of a lot of trouble. And there's no doubt that they do and I'm certainly not glamorizing it or excusing their behavior or in fact denying that they do cause a lot of trouble. They do. People with those dials on the mixing desk turned all the way up to max, those guys what I call hole in one psychopaths to use a, yet another analogy from golf. Uh, these guys are way way ahead at the top of the leaderboard and they do cause a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble for society in general. Sometimes people ask me, well, do you think it's good to eradicate psychopathy altogether from society? I don't think that's a good thing, actually. I think that there are certain levels at which psychopathic traits are actually quite useful, as I said, and that's the, that's the nub of the book. I'll give you an example, a recent study looking at the personality profiles of so-called hero populations. Those who work in law enforcement, the military, and the rescue services, for instance, shows that certain psychopathic traits such as fearlessness, coolness under pressure, and social dominance are actually higher in these guys than they are in uh, in the general population at large, which, you know, if you get rid of you know, all psychopathic uh, personality characteristics, you know, then you, we might not have great soldiers, we might not have great people that work in um, in the ambulance service, in the rescue services, in the police force, for instance. What I think we can do, it's important to to, to realize that, you know, these are on a spectrum. These characteristics are the dials on a mixing desk. And I think it's important that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and and switch the entire mixing desk off, rather than maybe just twiddling uh, in some people some of those dials down a little bit lower.
0: All right. The new book is called The Wisdom of Psychopaths. Uh, Dr. Dunn, thank you very much for your time.
1: Absolutely. My my pleasure, Charles.
0: If you do have a few seconds, though, we would like to quickly play our game, the Grokatron 5000. Yeah, okay, mate. No problem. All right. It's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, psychopath or not? So for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they have uh, psychopathic traits or not, and a little reason why. Doctor Dutton, you ready to play the game?
1: Yep, I'm ready to play.
0: Okay, here we go. And person number one, psychopath or not, it's show host Simon Cowell.
1: Simon Cowell. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm, you know what? Here, Charles, reluctant to actually say whether psychopath or not. What I would say, I'm going to use, I'm going to cop out and use my spectrum analogy here because a lot of these people might be quite litigious. You never know. And I would say medium to high on the spectrum. But I would say medium to high on the spectrum. I think um, in general, you know, people in the media, in order to succeed in the media, you need to be pretty mentally tough. You need to be focused. You need to be pretty ruthless and fearless. I don't think Simon would uh, necessarily uh, think that a bad thing. So I'd say medium to high.
0: All right. Very good. Number two, soccer great David Beckham.
1: Oh, David Beckham, probably medium to low. Actually, I think there's a lot of empathy with David Beckham, and uh, although they're, when you look at um, when you look at sports people, you know, to be a great sports person, you do need certain psychopathic characteristics such as focus, mental toughness. That kind of thing. I think what would probably let David down would be the conscience empathy kind of thing. I think he's probably pretty high on those, so I would say medium to low for Dave.
0: Uh, Number three is the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins.
1: Oh, Richard Dawkins. Well, I know Richard Dawkins because he's in Oxford with me. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say, again, mentally tough, very focused, listen in argument, pretty fearless. So again, I'd say pretty high on the spectrum. But Richard, um, you know, I, as I say, he he doesn't lack a conscience, or he doesn't—he he's got a lot of empathy. He's a—he's a pretty warm guy. So I'd say I'd say about medium. I'd say about rest of the you know general population average there.
0: All right, number four, it's uh, Russell Brandt.
1: Russell Brand, I think, would probably be quite low. I think actually Russell Brand has a lot of empathy. Quite a warm feeling kind of guy. I don't think he's too ruthless. I don't think he's too fearless either. So I would probably put Russell lowish.
0: All right. And finally, number five, it's uh, your Prime Minister, David Cameron.
1: David Cameron, well, that's a difficult one, because David Cameron's a difficult one. All I can say, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say probably medium, and the reason I'm going to say that is because uh, psychopathic characteristics in politics are actually quite useful. I mean, if you think about what politicians have to do, they have to make very tough decisions under pressure. They have to face all manner of threats, say, from rogue nation dictators and states to, you know, something you've got going over on the East Coast of the States at the moment, you know, um, uh, natural disasters. And, and stuff like that. They have to be very good at presenting themselves. They have to be very uh, confident to run for office in the first place. So I think all politicians would be pretty high on that kind of thing. I think I happen to think David Cameron's a quite a reasonable kind of chap. So to be honest, I'll go medium. Just, just just, enough to save my skin and not get sued. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good. <laughs> that was my own self-interest, my own self-interest. All right. Well, we do want to thank you for sticking around, playing our game, and again talking about uh, your fascinating new book, The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success. Uh, Dr. Dutton, thank you very much for your time.
1: been an absolute pleasure, Charles. Thanks very much for having me on.